2: We are gathered here on hallowed ground, horses raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this song away.
3: Yeah. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth.
4: Hello, everybody.
3: Now, those of you who know about the show, the show usually is in two parts. The first part of the show, ordinarily, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Now, the other part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about film, religion, culture, and history. One. At the end of our show, we're going to have legendary actor Jim Caviezel, who's going to be talking about his part as St. Luke in the movie Paul. We're going to be talking to David DeSerto as the program director for the Sheen Center. And at the Sheen Center, we were very privileged to see a preview of the movie Paul a few weeks ago. And we'll be talking to John Fazio. He's going to be our next speaker at the Civil War Roundtable of New York in April. John Fazio is talking about decapitating the Union. How, in effect, maybe Jefferson Davis should have been indicted for murder in the assassination attempt on President Lincoln. I know a a couple of weeks ago we were talking to uh, President-elect Grant, and President-elect Grant gave the opinion that Jefferson Davis should not be tried for any crimes or whatever that he felt it, it would be disastrous for the reunification of the United States. So we have differences of opinions. And like if you go to the Civil War Roundtable, it's not always the same opinion. People have differences of opinions, can debate their opinions. President Grant, played by Kurt Fields, said Jefferson Davis should not be indicted. John Fazio is taking the position that Jefferson Davis should have been indicted. So that's what makes a horse race, and that's why we end up going to the Civil War Roundtable. Now, Beth, we're going to spend a, you know more than a little bit of time tonight talking about the movie Paul. Now, you've got a chance. I've seen it twice now. You've seen it once. What's your first impression of the film?
4: I thought it was beautifully done. I like the close-ups of the faces. Um, so often, you you know, it's not to denigrate it, but, you know, when someone say, well, it was a TV movie, that was old-timey days. That just meant it, it, it was, you almost felt like it was stock footage as the people were walking around. Um it's filmed in Malta. It's a beautiful setting um and the close ups of the actors james faulkner um john um Jim Caviezel, shows the pain in their faces the love i I loved it, and like I said before, i didn't there was not so much blood and horror in it that I had to turn away. It's the subject matter is painful. You know that the people were martyred. You know that children were killed. You know it's horrible. But um, you see, I think with this movie, the more behind the gift of love, of real love um, through faith in Christ. And that is brought out over and over and over and sometimes i think we in our everyday lives forget that is what it's all about that's how we survive um day-to-day things sometimes they're small and sometimes like the the poor christians in the movie it's big they lose their lives we have Christians right now in the Middle East and many, many countries who go who suffer for their faith, and some give up their lives today. Martyrdom is not a thing of the past. So this it, this shows you what the people who know they're going to be martyred, you know, how would you deal with it if you're waiting to go into the Roman circus, and you and your family from mother's point of view, your children, you know, your children are fixing to be killed by wild animals. How, how do you deal with that? So I, I just thought it was magnificent.
3: Okay. And again, you know, a lot of you out there, and I know I speak to a lot of people each week and some people tell me, well, I don't go to the movies anymore because everything you see is such crap. And I kind of agree with it most of the time when i've been to 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 see a film in the last few years a lot of times it is crap but this is different and and listen if you're tired of what hollywood is putting out buy some tickets to see paul and you never know how the distribution's going to go how the reception is going to go so if you want the movie to succeed buy a ticket soon go see the movie soon because you don't really know how long this movie's going to be out and of course if you buy a ticket it's going to play longer if you believe in in People making films where you have good values, you don't have ridiculous crap going on, which is, or in many cases, liberal crap that's on in a a lot of these films, go support Paul. It's really well done, and it's a story that's timeless. You know, some of the same problems that are hitting those people back then in the first century are hitting us now. And, of course... It's not sugar-coated, which a lot of faith-based movies, I think one of the legitimate criticisms of a lot of the faith-based movies now, it's sugar-coated. This is not sugar-coated.
4: And Mike, how many people were with us? I would with say there the were 200 200? people yeah, when,
3: at, at this premiere show and with us.
4: Nothing, nothing but positive feedback. Nothing but positive feedback. So please go. Please go if you can. Okay,
3: now. If you want to learn more about estate planning and elder law, we are going to be doing seminars at the end of April. Matt is going to give us the times of the seminars during the commercials. And at the seminars, you can ask any question you want about estate planning and elder law. At the end of the seminar, I'll try to answer those questions. There's no charge to... To come into the seminars, but please call us in advance because we need to know how many seats to provide for, how many people are going to be there. And in some cases, we may have to add some seats. We want to be prepared. So if, if you want to attend the seminar, there's no charge. It's absolutely free, open to the public. And if you've been to a seminar in the past, don't feel bad. You can come again because I know sometimes it takes people a while to make up their mind on what to do. And of course, one of the things I'm always saying is there's no right answer for everybody. You know, some people have children they can trust. Some people don't have children. The answers are always is a little different. But the one thing you want to do is make some kind of plan because the worst thing you can do is not to plan at all. No matter what, everybody out there should have a will. That's the first step. If you have family members you can trust, you can think about a power of attorney. But get involved, come to one of our seminars, we'll answer your questions, and then you take it from there. Now, we're going to take a question, we're going to play a question that was asked on the Kevin McCullough Show last week. And Kevin McCullough runs a, a question for us each week And we try to answer it on the air. So here we go. Take it away, Kevin.
2: Kevin McCullough, so glad to be able to help bring you helpful information. And every week we promise uh, to have one of New York's very best attorneys on the issue of estate care and elder care uh, join us uh, to answer one of your questions. And this week from the mailbag for Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan says, My dad sold his house in Brooklyn and gave me the money from the sale to take care of him. His health is failing, and there's a possibility that he might end up going into a nursing home. I'm the only child, and prior to the health scare, he was living with me. Neighbors have said I have to give back the money to help cover nursing home costs. There's not much of it left. How can I get my father on Medicaid before all the funds are depleted? How long is the process, and what happens if he gets rejected? Mike Connors, what say you?
3: Okay, well, there are a lot of points in that question. Uh, Basically, if her father applies for institutional Medicaid, nursing home Medicaid, is what we call a five-year look-back period. So you have to document every transaction that happened five years prior to your application for benefits. Now, one of the confusing points about the look-back period, some people think because it happened in the five-year look-back period, it's all automatically going to go back to the nursing home. If she spent money taking care of her father and she has receipts, that will be allowed. And you do an accounting, and, of course, she was allowed to charge her father room and board, and other points like that. So basically she has to do an accounting if her father has, has to go to a nursing home within five years of the gift from the money from the sale of the house.
2: So the, the most important thing really for her probably is to call your office and to have uh, some help in the look-back process uh, and know what she should and she shouldn't uh, be, be required to uh, reveal.
3: Yeah, and she can apply for home care Medicaid within a couple of months in New York State.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, I hope that's helpful uh, for Lucille from Hamilton Heights. And again, if you've got questions along these same lines, the phone number to Connors and Sullivan is 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. Or you can always uh, email uh, mikeconnors at gmail.com. Connors at gmail.com. Mike Connors of Connors and Sullivan, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin.
3: Okay. Thanks again to Kevin McCullough, who you can hear uh, well on 970, the answer Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock. Now we're going to have a number of interviews coming up. First, we're going to be starting with John Fazio, Civil War Roundtable, should Jefferson Davis been indicted. And John Fazio is a lawyer, and he's going to be speaking at the Civil War Roundtable next week. So we'll give you the time at the end of the show. Then we're going to be talking to David DeSerto director of the Sheen Center, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the movie Paul, who just by almost happenstance, his wife was the casting director for the movie. And then we're going to be talking to Jim Caviezel about his part playing Luke in the movie Paul, Apostle of Christ.
1: Or our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid,
5: wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Monday, April
1: 23rd at the Greenhouse Cafe, 7117 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m., at Buckley's 2926 Avenue S. in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, on Wednesday, April 25th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. and on Thursday, April 26th at the Montauk Club, 25 8th Avenue in Park Slope, Brooklyn at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m.
5: Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make
1: an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 That's Connors & Sullivan, 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com.
5: Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors & Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com.
1: Connors & Sullivan, plan now for later. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me.
5: I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going.
0: No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with.
7: You can have
0: a
1: beautiful car, a big fancy home. But if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's
0: there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust especially as a man but there's a true freedom to not be enslaved but to attach ourselves to God and to be free thank God I'm home now that I'm back in the Catholic Church I'm a new person I love it
4: there's peace in our
2: home that we didn't have before
0: you're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you if you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason we invite you to take another look visit catholicscomehome.org today
1: Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the
3: Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is John. Is John Fazio, who's got a book out, "Decapitating the Union: Jefferson Davis, Judah Benjamin, and the Plot to Assassinate Lincoln." How you doing today, sir?
6: I'm doing well. How about you?
3: Okay, so you're talking about the assassination plot against lincoln what gave you the idea of doing this book how did you get involved in this
6: okay first of all let me clarify a point the deals with more the, the book deals with more than just the assassination of abraham lincoln it deals with that assassination of course but also the attempted assassinations of which we know with uh, with certainty or some degree of certainty that there were at least four other uh, attempts to assassinate uh uh... federal office holders that night and and perhaps as many as fifteen though the evidence for the other ten is weak what gave me the idea i began studying the civil war i was sixteen years old which means that i've been studying it for more than years and um I became intensely interested in the assassination and the attempted assassinations that occurred on the night of April 14, 1865, in Washington uh, about uh, eight years ago. And so I began reading a lot of material on the subject. To be more specific, I read 125 books on the subject, which is about all there are as uh, 125 books i mean there're like 16,000 that relate to lincoln but only about 125 that relate to the assassination uh itself and uh i, I also read of course uh in, in addition to the uh, to to the books i read uh, tons of uh of uh, articles uh, manuscripts uh, letters uh, and so forth newspaper articles and so forth uh to familiarize myself uh uh with the subject the first thing I noticed was that there's hardly any agreement on the subject, even after 150, 150 years. There are enormous differences of opinion, great unknowns and mysteries, enigmas, riddles and conundrums and what have you. So I set out, first of all, to establish some degree of consensus. And, and then I, I began to see that, in my judgment, the only theory of the assassination that made any sense was the theory of the complicity of the of the uh, Confederate government and, more specifically, its secret service. What happened here, if I may continue, what happened was that in 1865, immediately after the assassination, the War Department under Edwin Stanton and the federal prosecutors were convinced that the, uh, the Confederate government, specifically Jefferson Davis and Judah Benjamin and perhaps uh, uh, James Seddon, uh, and perhaps alexander stevens the uh, the vice president and and the secret service under the leadership of jacob thompson which was headquartered in uh, in, in uh, montreal were in fact complicit in the events of april fourteenth but what happened was that the secret service uh... uh... in canada uh... sent witnesses to the the trial of the conspirators which was held in may and june of eighteen sixty five whose purpose it was to deliberately plant perjury in the proceedings, perjury that was intended to be revealed as such and later was revealed as such. And upon the revelation of the perjury, the case against the Confederate leadership collapsed, which, is what, which was its intent. And the theory, therefore, of Confederate complicity went into hibernation for about 125 years. And then in 1988, three very, very intelligent uh, historians who had spent their entire lives in uh, in uh, government in- intelligence, and they were uh, uh, William Tidwell, James O. Hall, and David Gaddy. They did massive research into the subject, and they concluded that in fact the, uh, the War Department under Stanton and the federal prosecutors had it right the first time in 1865. They published their uh, findings in a book uh, titled Come Retribution. It was a 1988 uh, a seminal work, and it was followed uh, later by Tidwell's uh, solo uh, titled uh, April 1865. Now, since that time, since that time, many... Assassination historians and scholars, big names in the field, have come around to the view that, in fact, Tidwell Hall and Gaddy got it right. And I'm speaking, of course, of William Hanchett, Richard Current, Stephen Sears, and H. Donald Winkler. So there the matter stands today. More and more historians or scholars are coming to the view, coming to the conclusion that, in fact, the Confederate government was complicit because there was virtually nothing left to them. Their armies were melting away. They were beaten in desperate men. Desperate men do desperate things. And there was nothing left to them but multiple assassinations. So that is – that is, and I set about to to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt – And if I may say so, with all due modesty, I think I succeeded because there are many, many reviews of my book. You can see uh, 38 of them on Amazon, 35 of which give the book five stars. And virtually all of them uh, affirm my conclusion that, in fact, beyond a reasonable doubt, the Confederate government was complicit.
3: What was the connection between Jefferson Davis and John Wilkes Booth?
6: Well, Davis uh, uh, dealt personally with the confederate agent thomas harbin Harbin uh, wrote uh, uh, later in life, uh, I believe it was uh, 1883, when it was safe to do so. He left the country after the assassination because clearly he was complicit. And when he returned after five years, he wrote about his exploits as a Secret Service agent. And among other things, he said that he reported directly to Davis. Now, we know with absolute certainty that Harbin was very close to Booth. He met with Booth several times before the assassination, and he met with Booth again after the assassination, uh, as when he and when Booth and uh, and Harold were fugitives in Maryland and Virginia. So there can be no doubt that Davis knew all about Booth's conspiracy, and the further evidence of that is the fact that Booth's right hand was John Surratt. And John Surratt was in constant communication with Judah Benjamin in Richmond. In fact, according to Henri Beaumont St. Marie, a fellow papal zouave in Italy, John Surratt was in the habit of going to Richmond every week. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Judah Benjamin's uh, biographer, Eli Evans, states categorically that John Surratt was uh, was Judah Benjamin's courier. He was his official courier. So if Booth's right hand is John Surratt, and John Surratt is in constant communication with Judah Benjamin, and if, and if Booth is close to Harbin and Harbin is reporting directly to Davis, then how can Benjamin and Davis not know about Booth and their conspiracy and what, he, the, what they were doing, his action team, and what they were not doing? Clearly, they knew, the Confederate government knew all about Booth uh, and, and his action team and what they were doing and not doing. And they did nothing to stop him, incidentally, which also proves that uh, it was not Booth's purpose to kidnap anyone, which is popularly supposed, but rather to kill someone, and which is what he did.
3: Now, so I assume in your opinion there's an evidence there that Jefferson Davis should have been indicted.
6: In a sense, he was. He he was not officially indicted, you're right, he was not tried. But he was listed as a co-conspirator in the trial of the conspirators. Uh, But the whole case against, as I said earlier, the whole case against the Confederate leadership collapsed when the perjury that was deliberately planted by the Secret Service was exposed. But yes, you know, yes, he should have been. I mean, you know, there are two ways of looking at it. The country needed to move on. We had other problems to deal with, Reconstruction and so forth. So, there is an argument you know that, that we should not have, we, we should not have tread too heavily uh, on Davis. We couldn't even get our hands on Benjamin. He was in London. He left the country. So that argument has been made, and, and there is merit to it. But technically, as a matter of law, Davis was uh, uh, guilty of conspiring to murder Abraham Lincoln, uh, which conspiracy succeeded. Under the laws of conspiracy and complicity, yes, he should have been indicted, and yes, he should have been convicted. But I think the federal government, the War Department, knew that they would have a very hard time getting a conviction of Jefferson Davis in Virginia. Uh, and for that reason, too, you know, they, they, they kept a, pretty much a hands-off policy. Though he was imprisoned, uh, as you probably know. He was imprisoned uh, for two years, and then he was released.
3: The name of your book, what's the name of it?
6: Uh, decapitating the union uh, well actually there has a subtitle it's decapitating the union jefferson davis Judah benjamin and the plot to assassinate lincoln
3: by our guest john c fazio thank you very much for bringing history to life we applaud you for your efforts
6: thank you thank you very much
8: with me right now i'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family make the call now 888-943-2646 or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash once again call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement
1: frank Melia, nmls number 62591 All loans provided by Quantic Bank and MLS number
7: 403503. How can I protect my family if something happens to me?
5: What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of grandpa?
1: Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment
3: of Ask the Lawyer. You know, a lot of times I, I talk about events that are being held at the Sheen Center, like when our buddy Joe Pierce was up here. And right now I'm very pleased to have the Director of Program Administration for the Sheen Center, David DeSerto. How are you doing today, David?
9: Very good. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and thank you for letting me uh, share a little bit about the Sheen Center.
3: Now, what is the Sheen Center? I mean, some people here have been there a few times, but other people may not know about it.
9: Sure. Uh, simply put, Shane Center is uh, one of the newer projects of the Archdiocese of New York. Uh, it's an art center, a multi art center in Lower Manhattan in the uh, NoHo District, which is just north of Houston Street. Um, and it's, a, it's an arts and culture center. Uh, we have two theaters, uh, rehearsal studios, a sound studio, an art gallery, and it's really predicated on the mission of celebrating works of art that showcase what uh, what we call the true, the good, and and the beautiful, the the three transcendentals that the Church has always talked about historically. Um, But the Sheen Center is really much more than bricks and mortar. It's really about an idea, the idea that beauty, uh, beautiful works of art can help transform the world.
3: Getting back to the Origins, Sheen Center, is that for Archbishop Fulton Sheen?
9: Uh, sure yeah it's it's uh, it's named after Archbishop Fulton Sheen, uh, not Charlie Sheen um, and as uh, those in your audience who remember uh, Archbishop Sheen, uh, he was really uh, a pioneer in the use of media uh, for engaging for the church engaging the culture. He really was the new evangelization before there wasn't a new evangelization. Um, he would really and routinely on his uh, very popular television show, uh, you know, reference works of art or literature or plays. Um, and a large part of his audience, um, of more than 30 million, were not even Catholics. Uh, so he really had a genius uh, for engaging that wider culture, which is really what we're trying to accomplish at the Shane Center.
3: Now, one of the things I'm um... You know, I'm a movie buff, a film addict, whatever. And there have been more than a few remarkable films that I've seen previewed at the Sheen Center. And a few weeks ago we were very privileged to see the movie Paul, Apostle of Christ. Can you tell us something about the movie?
9: Sure. Uh well, it's uh it's a uh it's from Sony Pictures and the uh the film deals with actually the the last days of uh, St. Paul um, as he's sitting in a Roman prison waiting to be executed. Um, and it's really about his relationship with St. Luke, um, his, his partner on many of his missionary journeys, um, and obviously the author who not only penned one of the, uh, the four canonical Gospels, but the, um, the Acts of the Apostles. And here, St. Luke is played by Jim Caviezel, who, as everyone knows, played uh, Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's film. Um, and Paul is played by uh, James Faulkner, who's a very fine British actor, uh, who may, you know some of your audience may recognize from uh, such shows as Downton Abbey or um, Game of Thrones. And we had actually, the film is directed by a very talented young Catholic filmmaker, Andrew Hyatt. And we had uh, premiered, His previous film, uh, Full of Grace, which dealt with uh, the story of uh, the the sort of the last uh, days in the earthly life of uh, the Virgin Mary, and uh, so we you know he's been a big supporter of the Shane Center uh, and he's a a friend of mine. Uh, My wife uh, actually cast the new film. My wife is a casting director and she cast the uh, Paul movie. Uh, so we just thought it was a great opportunity to showcase a, a wonderful film, um, and it was obviously a film that spoke to our core mission, and we were just happy to be able to provide that very early uh, advanced screening of the film, and uh, the film's going to be opening up uh, soon, and uh, you know, we just wish uh, Andrew and his whole producing team all the best.
3: Now, your wife was the casting director?
9: Yes, yeah, she was the casting director for the Apostle Paul movie.
3: Okay, so what exactly does that entail?
9: Well, casting directors obviously work very closely with the directors, too, as as the, the title suggests, to cast the movie. So they'll get an early copy of the script, they'll read it, they'll break it down, uh, they'll come up with candidates or, or recommendations for actors who might be right for each of the parts. And as I said, they work with the director. The director obviously has the final say of who he wants to cast, but he really relies on the casting director to bring him... Uh, you know, uh, a list of, of really viable actors or actresses who are right for the role.
8: Now, of
3: course, the night we were at the Sheen Center, among the directors and producers, there was also the actor who plays Paul, James Faulkner. I know, you know, you mentioned Game of Thrones and Downton Abbey and so forth, but for older people like me, we kind of remember him from I, Claudius, where he played Herod, Herod Agrippa. Correct yeah
9: correct yeah he's he's had a a, a really remarkable career uh, backstage he was uh sharing some stories with me about how how a young actor in london he had actually sort of cut his teeth with the likes of rex harrison so i mean he really has seen the you know a, a, a long he has a long history in the uh, in the industry and and i think he really brought that that maturity uh to the role of paul again this is this is not the young paul on the road to damascus this is a paul who's you know been broken and beaten but his faith is still strong but he's he's an he's an older man uh you know uh sitting in a prison cell uh leading up to his his final days so i think he really brought a sense of that gravitas and that maturity to to the role
3: yeah and not only that i was very impressed with his interview after the film and the fact that one of the reasons he said he made the film he he was tired of christianity being denigrated
9: yeah he i mean obviously uh don't want to give too much away about the movie but the movie does have um deals with some themes and issues which um you know not only speak to the the, the apostolic age but but sadly uh remind us how so little has changed in two thousand years. Um and there's certainly some uh current resonances in the film uh that deal with uh the, the topic, as you said, of Christian persecution. Um and also uh the the Roman Christian community in, in the city of Rome where he is during the film is is, or a portion of them are displaced at the end, and, you know, it's hard to watch the movie and not make connections to uh, some of the very tragic images we see from around the globe of the refugee crisis. So it's a movie that I think is is really trying to do something ambitious and very reverent about the scripture story of, you know, this towering figure uh, of the New Testament, uh, but also speaks very, uh, very, uh, very, dramatically and and uh, and effectively to, you know, timely issues that are, that are, like I said, sadly in the news on a nightly basis.
3: Film is not the only thing you have at the Sheen Center. In fact, I think about a month or so ago, we saw Ed Henry and Juan Williams talk about Jackie Robinson.
9: Yeah, we, like I said, we're a multidiscipline uh, arts center. Uh, but what's important is our full name is the Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen Center for Thought and Culture. So we really pride ourselves on a lot of the thought programming that we do here. And a lot of that thought uh, program uh, translates into various author nights. So as you said, uh, recently we did a wonderful uh, evening as part of our Black History Month programming with Ed Henry, uh, the White House correspondent on Fox News, who had his book – his newest book. Is on Jackie Robinson, but not only just a, a sort of a baseball biography, but really tries to explore um, a, a lesser-known aspect of, of, you know, the civil rights uh, and sports icon, in that he was a man of profound and deep faith, and that faith really sustained him and strengthened him through the, you know, the the struggles and the ordeals of breaking the color barrier. So. Uh, Ed Henry wrote this wonderful book, gave a wonderful talk, uh, and then was interviewed by his colleague on Fox News, Juan Williams. Uh, and then the next evening, uh, we were privileged enough to have an author night with um, George Weigel, who's you know probably one of the you know the smartest uh, journalists and authors out there writing about uh, the Catholic Church and its engagement with the wider world. So we've been very lucky in the past. Um, we've had uh, you know. Many different authors here, um, both from the, you know, secular authors and religious authors. Uh, You know, one of the high points of the last two years is we had uh, Bishop Robert Barron, Um, and and he was, uh, you know, if we had a current Fulton Sheen, it would be Bishop Barron. So we were just so uh, blessed and privileged to have uh, Bishop Barron on our stage uh, talking about his his new uh, series, Pivotal Players, uh, which uh, sort of profiles different figures throughout the history of the Church and, the, and their relevance today.
3: Now, what's coming up in the future on, at the Sheen Center?
9: Well, uh, one event that I'm really excited about, I have to admit I am a, uh, a proud uh, sort of pop culture geek, and one of our upcoming events that I'm particularly excited about is called Jesuits and Jedi, um, and the subtitle is, Science and Spirituality in the Age of Star Wars, and we're really privileged to have uh, Brother Guy Consolmagno, who, if your audience does not know who he he is, he's been called the Pope's astronomer. He is the director of the Vatican Observatory, so he's an astronomer, but he's also a Jesuit brother. Um, and he also happens to be a huge science fiction fan. So we're really going to talk about that nexus and that, that relationship between faith and science, but using pop culture and using science fiction, both uh, novels and movies, as sort of a, a fun and entertaining way to explore those very big questions. Um, we also have a continuing series called Civility in America, which we partner with America Media, which is the uh, the Jesuits' uh, you know, very uh, fine uh, thought journal. And uh, it's it's an ongoing series. So the first installment we did last year, Civility in America, uh, dealt with religion. The next uh, installment, which is coming up on May 2nd, is Civility in America, the media. And we're going to have Chris Matthews of MSNBC um, being on stage along with Larry Kudlow, uh, who obviously you know was just named uh, to the uh, the uh, President Trump's administration. Is he going to have and time to do we, it now? Uh, well, we yes, we've been told that he is still oh. committed to the event. Uh, obviously Very Obviously, we don't know things will change, but as of right now, uh, he is committed. And and those those events are moderated by uh, America Magazine's editor, uh, Father Matt Malone. And the real concept there is to take people who, um, you know, I. I I wouldn't say opposing points of view, but maybe different points of view, and just proving that you can sit down and have a civil conversation. Um, If I didn't say, I apologize. I I don't know if I gave the date for the Jesuits and Jedi event. That's April 10th. So April 10th, Jesuits and Jedi, and then May 2nd, Civility in America. And you can find out about not only these events, but all our events um, on sheencenter.org. Like I said, we have everything from film to talks to music concerts to Stage plays. Uh, We really are. um, We're really blessed that the archdiocese has been so supportive of us, and uh, I'm really amazed uh, how myself and my colleagues uh, have been able to really uh, accomplish quite a bit in the short two and a half years that our doors have been open.
3: Now, you do have membership options.
9: Yes, and that membership uh, information is also available on our website. Um, Our director of development has really been working hard to develop those. Those membership packages. Uh so I would encourage everyone again to go to the website SheenCenter.org um and and look into that. Uh you know, we also have some wonderful uh, membership only events. Uh last year uh we were uh, uh we were lucky enough to have an evening with Tim Tebow and again that was just an example of a membership type of event. Uh, we've had some Hollywood sneak peeks and those are often members get you know, a first access to RCPing to those events, um, and there's a host of other events as well, and, and uh, all that information is on our website.
3: And a lot of times, you get a chance to to talk with the director or some of the actors in the production.
9: Yeah, like well, like I said, we the reason why we put the thought in our name is because we really try to even. If it's not a talk event, we try to build in some sort of a talk component. So if we're going to show a movie, we'll show the movie, and then we'll have a talk back afterwards. And we always, uh, to the you know as, as best as we can, try to um, work in some opportunities for the audience to ask questions. And... If we're going to have a long-run stage production, we'll have special uh, performances that have talkbacks with the cast or part of the creative team. Uh, we're even trying to work some of that that uh, sort of interactive talkback um, format into some of our concerts. Uh, so we really do believe that the events are really just a jumping-off point for a larger conversation. And I think that at the end of the day, you know, uh, Dana Joya, who's uh, a Catholic poet, um, once defined uh, culture as a conversation that a community has with itself. And that's really, at the end of the day, what we're trying to encourage here a dialogue. Uh, because in the age that we live in, uh, you know, going back to those three transcendentals, where the true and the good are unfortunately so hotly debated, the beautiful, beauty is one of the few remaining universal languages. So we try to lead with beauty. Um, we try to encourage dialogue. Um, just this past week, we had Bishop Paul Tai, who is the secretary for the Pontifical Council for Culture in the Vatican. And he spoke just about that, about dialoguing, how the church uh, you know, is, is open to dialoguing with the wider culture. And one of the easiest ways to do that is through, uh, you know, through the lens of art and beauty. Uh, so that's really what we're trying to accomplish here at the Sheen Center.
3: Okay, one last time, David, if you can give the, the website connection again.
9: Sure. Uh, the website is sheencenter.org. Um, and, uh, you know, come check us out. We have a lot of wonderful events. We're getting ready to uh, sort of draw up our fall and spring season. So while there's a lot of events that are currently available, you know we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg and cardinal dolan has been so supportive of us and there's uh there's a lot more on the way so we really encourage everyone catholics non-catholics believers unbelievers I think everyone, all New Yorkers and everyone who can get themselves to the Sheen Center uh, can really find something that will uh, intrigue them uh, and maybe even surprise them.
3: Thank you. David Deserto, Director of Programs Admission uh, Administration, I'm sorry, at the Sheen Center. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner.
9: Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for having me.
10: We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death, and it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Hello, this is
0: Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. In 1948, the U.N. published the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, stating that, quote, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. And it also states, everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. Isn't it time for nations to pay attention to these statements when they craft their policies on abortion? This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life.
3: Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, we're very pleased to have on one of the most talented actors of this generation, Jim Caviezel. And the reason he's on is we got a mo- new movie. What's the name of the movie?
7: Paul Apostle of Christ.
3: I think a lot of people might assume your name is first. You play the lead character.
7: I helped get the movie uh, made. I do not play Paul. That's James Faulkner. He is Paul on screen. He's extraordinary in it. And... uh my um, affiliation with it came as I was obviously playing Jesus, and I read a lot of um, Paul's writings about who Jesus was. It had a huge influence, and you know, I thought, wow, well, if this ever God made, I certainly wanted to be a part of it and help influence at least the tone of what it could be. And I had an opportunity, and here we are.
3: I was privileged to see an advanced screening of the movie. And Paul is played by a great character actor, James Faulkner, who some of the older people like me might remember him from I, Claudius, where he played Herod Agrippa.
7: I didn't know much much about him. Um, I I was just blown away with his level of commitment to uh, allowing um, the Holy Spirit to come through him and just be... Um, Paul, it, 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 he was the pillar of the film. I was definitely the ship of it, but he is the he is the captain of the ship, and he drives he drives it right into the storm, but not without Jesus, our rudder, and that completely comes through him. Why did you
3: make this film? I'm sure you could have had a project that would have paid you more money.
7: Huh. When you look at all the other material out there, it just had a, a side of moral redemption that um, I was— I look for and I continually uh, search for it. And in this time period that we're at, you know, gone are the films of Ben-Hur, you know, we're not doing those anymore, you know, uh, and they, we don't do them well. Um and I I had an opportunity, um you know, I crossed the Rubicon when I did The Passion of the Christ and then they came to me with all these other faith-based movies and they kept saying that word and I said, "You know guys, these, script, these scripts, they're crappy. They're terrible. They're, they're just filled with so much sugar. Um, and when Mel and I did the, the Passion of the Christ, we never said we were faith-based. We just went out and made an incredible film. And I think that is what I wanted to use my art, uh, my ability, um, my gifts for, which is I didn't want to pound you over the head. But at the same time, I didn't want to take scripture and, and uh, change it like they do in so many of these other films. I wanted to make what I read in the story that has profoundly changed the lives of millions of souls. And so in the center of that is love. But love is tough at times, you see. And, you know, I felt that is at an early age. Everybody feels a lack of something deep inside. I just felt it much more than others. And I felt it sooner Somebody very special out there wanted to be extra close to me. Let me ask
3: you one thing you talked about, Sugar. One thing I I like about this film is that you guys are able to portray Paul and Luke as real people who are afraid of death, who are afraid of, in your case, being arrested. You're not just halos, you know, guys with halos printed up on cardboard.
7: Yeah. Look, you know, my character, uh, he represents the pagans, all right, the non-believers. Uh, medical doctor, uh, you know, Greek, uh, smart, um, probably worshiped multiple gods and didn't have a Ten Commandments. So he could pretty much sleep with whatever girl or guy he wanted to. And then you got the other guy who uh, is a religious uh, zealot, very talented, brilliant also, um, but he uses his gifts for wickedness in Saul, and he has a massive conversion and I those two things right and you put both of those guys in the room and they're going up against you know Nero who's annihilating Christianity and without you know our relationship with God right it it's not just God doing the work it's other people that uh, the relationship's two-sided he needs us to be a part of this and if it wasn't for a couple people saying yes you know where would we be right now and so this film kind of says to you, hey, get off your get off your butt, get off your hands. Do something. And it's that middle third of people that this film really goes after. You know, we have wicked people and they are evil. But when you look at the mass majority and the difference they could make, I still find that the greatest wickedness and our Lord is very very severe with them. At the end he says you know, when I separate the goats from the sheep, the goats will say, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? When did we see any of these things? Because he did nothing. And he says, whatsoever you did to the least of these, you did it to me. And so uh, I, I, take, I took those things to heart. And I, I, I wanted to be able to use my, my ability as an artist to help uh, bring souls to Jesus because, man, he deserves to be loved. and We need to start telling them, that we love him.
3: So your main point about doing this film is bringing souls to Jesus.
7: Of course, because I was lost, because I was, you know, uh, uh, reached a real, real low point in my life early on that was questioning on what my own existence, but this love that came to me that profoundly uh, changed me. A priest told me one time, he said, Jim, God doesn't love you just before your sin. He doesn't just love you after your sin but he loves you during your sin and it's that love that completely broke my heart and i had to change and and so but as christians we can't go out and say okay you know god gave me love and then we don't give it to others and that's the most important thing and that's an action that requires you to get up and do something and love is is where it's selfless it's not focused on you we're not victims And Paul and Luke were definitely not victims.
3: All right. So the name of the film is Paul, Apostle of Christ. Yeah. Thank you very much for bringing this film to life. Thank you for what you're doing. Because I think you just left a message with the audience that should inspire some people, as you said, to do
7: something. Just remember, audience, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. God bless you. God bless you.
3: Again, we hope everybody gets a chance to see the movie Paul, Apostle of Christ. And also, you know, on a quite not serious note, Civil War Roundtable. Our next Yay! meeting the, our next meeting of the Civil War Roundtable is going to be on April 9th at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. Dinner at 6 o'clock, doors open at 5.30. The cost for non-members is $60, but you get a three-course meal. And the guest speaker is heard tonight is going to be John Fazio decapitating the union.
4: Did everybody see Mike on CBS?
3: I don't know if anybody saw me on CBS. We're also on New York One.
4: Also on New York One, um, we've had two different reporters come by and show everybody your toy soldiers.
3: Now, we're going to be talking next week, we're going to be talking to Steve Forbes, whose father had the largest toy soldier collection. He had 60,000 soldiers. So his father had the largest toy soldier collection in the history of the world as far as we know so we're going to be talking to steve forbes we're going to talk about the flat tax and economics and things like that but we are going to talk a little bit about toy soldiers it's a holy weekend depending on what episode of the show you're listening to i hope you had a a blessed passover easter and of course some of our our eastern orthodox friends are going to be having easter you know next week
4: happy easter let's all just remember to love each other y'all
5: take care
3: bye